When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a cult. It's a cult for one. That is what these relationships are. A cult leader and their victim. Have you ever been in a toxic relationship? Or do you have friends who seem to bounce from one torrid relationship to another? Today, writer, comedian and actor Maddie Anholt talks to us about how to leave your psychopath. That's also the name of her book, which I would thoroughly recommend as it's really funny while also being quite daunting, sad and educational. I hope that there are some people out there who might be able to learn from it or who could use the advice in it. It's really filled with different kinds of exercises and tidbits and things you can do if you find yourself in this kind of toxic relationship. Do write in and let us know if that's the case and if this has helped you or not. A lot of this, as Maddie does say herself, is not really as simple as psychopath, leaving your psychopath, or even, you know, words like narcissist and Machiavellian traits, you know, the dark triad as they're called. It's a lot to do with balance or the right and wrong person. I say balance as in, you know, uh, balance in yourself and whether you're in the right place to meet someone um, who values you. And it's also about how to avoid falling for one of those pretty awful people. And, and how not to be one of those awful people. All sorts of things uh, that we talk about and learn about today. You can find Maddie Anholt on Twitter and get her book in all the normal places. That's How to Leave Your Psychopath, The Essential Handbook for Escaping Toxic Relationships. It's a really, really fascinating read, so do consider going out there and getting it. Uh, coming up are episodes with a former burglar and another episode about Shamima Begum who left the UK to fight for ISIS. Uh, and there's a whole big debate in the UK about whether she should be granted a UK passport, whether she basically gave up that right when she decided to become a terrorist, uh, whether she was tricked into it when she was young. It's a fascinating debate. But now... You're on the edge of toxic relationships with Maddie Anholt. Maddie, welcome, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Oh God, good. I am good. This is the first professional thing I've done in a while. I feel like I don't know how to talk anymore. But we will try. <laughs> well, whether you can talk or not, you can certainly write because I've been really enjoying your book, How to Leave Your Psychopath. Do you want to tell uh, the audience a little bit about, uh, I suppose, what it is and what led you to write it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the essential handbook to escaping toxic relationships is uh, what we're, we're calling it. And it's, um, yeah, basically, I just could not for the life of me find my way into a healthy relationship. I progressively over a a decade just found myself in worse and worse and more toxic relationships and became more miserable until I sort of hit, I mean, it's such a cliche to be like, I hit rock bottom, but I genuinely hit a place where I was like, this is awful. I I can't do this. I can't keep doing this. And I was determined 
I figured the only way to make this stop is to educate myself on why it keeps happening to me, why I'm so attractive to this particular type of person, and I'm going to call them controlling personality types. And what, how could I make the cycle stop? And so I wrote the book. I did it. I did a lot of research. I did, you know, I figured like 10 years worth of relationships. What it's sort of like longer than a PhD, isn't it? You know, I don't want to call myself a doctor, but pretty much am. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I wrote the book and I just went, I worked with a lot of incredible psychologists and, um, counselors and just, it, just amazing minds on this book and, and survivors as well and women's aid and so on. And yeah, the culmination of which is what I like to think is a kind of lighthearted, but probably quite dark take on controlling, re- uh, relationships. It's, it's really, quite um for for a book that's you know got psychopath in the title and obviously a lot of very serious quite abusive things happen and often to you but it also has a quite a funny side i think you you did stand-up comedy or you're involved in comedy was that um something you wanted to get that sort of balance right yeah it was all really accidental accidental actually um andrew so i right before the pandemic i wrote my fifth one woman show which was called how to train your psychopath and it was an hour comedy and i got a stand-up tour booked and I was underbelly at the fringe and it was meant to be this year actually and uh it was all booked it was all going ahead I started doing work in progresses and then the pandemic hit and so I had this hour comedy and in the time when I was doing work in progresses I began to realize that and this is gonna there's no way to say this without sounding really egotistical I basically didn't need to push the show audiences were coming without me really doing very much work and I don't think it was because of me I think it was because of the subject matter because men and women and uh, people were coming going oh I've been in one of these or I know someone who's been in one of these and so it was kind of a take on it which was not like black and white textbook it was I'm going to meet you where you are and be non-judgmental and let's have a bit of a laugh about it and also make it stop at the same time. Yeah, I think that comes across uh, really well. And I, I, we definitely def- we all know someone like that, someone who's been in relationships like that. We know people who seem to always attract those people, as you say, about yourself as well. And we're sort of all scratching our heads and we do want to know. And I think it's probably a bit like, um, you know, true crime is so popular, I think, because particularly with women, uh, and I think that might be people, people speculate that that's because it's like they're practicing by learning about all these horrible, horrible men who might kill them. It's like practice. They get to really, you know, know what to look out for and that kind of thing. So would you say then that, that your book can help for women, but also men, I suppose, who, who are in these very abusive uh, relationships? Are, is, are you helping them get out of it or to look for the, the red flags so they don't fall into those kinds of things? Yeah, all of the above, really. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say this anyway. Might get in trouble, who knows, that we are about to do paperback, launch paperback next year, uh, June 2023. And we are changing the title. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, whatever. Uh, we are changing the title because it's done really well. It's selling really well. And I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of direct messages from people saying stuff like, I can't talk about this, but you've helped me so much, or I'm stuck in this and your book has helped. And I'm, I'm got the audio book. But what is happening is that I think people are going, Oh, psychopath. Oh no, they're not that bad. 
you know, oh, they're just, they're just a bit of a dick, but they're not a psychopath. And if anything, it's giving people a bit of an excuse as to say, oh, it's bad, but it's not that bad. Because I'm telling you firsthand from someone who's been in that relationship, all you want is to play it down and to normalize it because you're used to that. And so I'm sort of roundabout answer to your question, Andrew, but we are finding that, yes, we're helping people get out of these relationships. It's a lot of people who've been in them who retrospectively are going, oh my God, that's what that was. Um, but yeah, I think it's inter- it's been a really interesting few weeks because the publishers and I have been having a chat about, you know, is it too scary? And I'm trying to say it is scary being in these relationships. But yeah, anyway, we don't want to scare people off. So we're, we're trying a sort of a new approach here um, with the paperback. Okay. So sort of focusing more on the toxic toxicity of somebody more than the psychopathy. I think so. Although, you know, the content of the book is not changing. I really am not... Um, I don't want to play these people down. You know, they are dangerous, dangerous people who, um, you know, I'm talking here about psychopaths. I'm talking about narcissists. I'm talking about controlling personality types who will destroy you. I'm not talking about, you know, just a bit of a prick who won't hang up your bath mat or won't take the shoes off when they come in the house. I'm not talking about those people. You know, I'm people talking about people who actively are seeking to destroy you, who will erode your confidence, who will sexually degrade you, who will financially control you. Like these are people who very slowly, insidiously will destroy your life. I think, yeah, I think it's a really, I understand it's a complicated one because I suppose, as you're saying, some of them are psychopaths and some might be narcissists and it's very hard to put labels on these things. And at the same time, the word psychopath is really good sort of PR, I think. I mean, I'm thinking about how to title this episode and I want to have psychopath in there somewhere because people will watch, listen to it. But then they might come out as you're saying, they might come out and go, well, hang on, that wasn't necessarily a psychopath, you know, so that, and people do do that. They do get in touch upset that yeah. titles are slightly different to the thing. yeah. I mean, it's just people looking for an, it's, it's looking for an excuse, as I did for a long time, that it wasn't that bad, you know? Um, so I feel like I am saying, yeah, okay, let's make it. I'm not sure what the new title is going to be yet, but, you know, we're in discussions and I think I'm going, yeah, it is, you know, a book about finding a healthy relationship. It is a book about toxic people. But it's a bit more than that. It's about understanding why you attract them specifically and how their brain works, basically. Mm, and tell me a little bit about that, because, I mean, you do go into quite a lot of the sciencey, researchy stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just anecdotal. And you do talk about the differences between the dark triads. So maybe that would be a good, st- a good place to sort of s- start for the audience. Yeah, I think the first thing I wanted to say is that... Um, and this is really key. I think I say this in every single interview I do about the book. It doesn't matter if the person that you're with is a genetic psychopath, has, is, you know, a narcissist, is a covert or overt narcissist, is a just, you know, a a liar or a cheat or a thief or whatever. It, It doesn't matter. None of this matters. What matters is what they are doing to you. And I think I have been asked so many times, how did you know that the person that you were with was a psychopath then? 
you know, which is a legitimate question. And how did you, why are you talking about the dark triad? Like if you, if you're looking at that, like, you know, Machiavellianism and uh, narcissism and uh, psychopathy and all of that, like, how did you, why are you talking about who's a, a liar and the da 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 and whatever, they're deceitful. And I, I get it, right? I think it's basically, you've just said it there, Andrew. It's, it's because it sells books, right? But also, I think the point here is, is that when you're in that relationship, if I had got the diagnosis, the proper clinical diagnosis from, um, and someone said to me, yes, you're right, they are a genetic psychopath, would I have left that relationship? No, absolutely not. I would not, it wouldn't make any difference. Because it's not the diagnosis, it's not whether they are or they're not that makes you leave, it's what happens to you. And so I will happily talk about, you know, the dark triad and all of that, but what I'm really interested in is looking through the victims, through the survivor's eyes and not adding to this mystique of a psychopath and going, my God, they're so alluring, they're the world's best actor, they're the... I do talk about that, but I'm also interested more in what happens to you as a person who is at the sort of, you know, underneath this person who is very, very, very um, step by step every single day destroying you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm really passionate about that. You might have got that from that response is that, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it's like I say at the beginning of the book, one of the first things I say is, listen, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a therapist. I never say it. I'm, I'm not pretending to be. All you're going to read is me working out why it keeps happening. Right. Well, no, well, we still do read, as, as I was saying, we do read the, uh, you sort of setting out near the beginning the differences between uh, narcissists and, and psychopaths. I, I mean, it's, I, I get what you're saying. It's almost a side note compared to the stories and the actual experience that you face. But it's still, I, I, it's still there at the beginning. Yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, you can look at it in black and white and you can go, okay, so, you know, a genetics uh, psychopath, uh, t technically they don't have a conscience. You know, they may display a little bit of empathy. Uh, probably not. If you're looking at uh, Dr. Robert Hare's checklist, you know, you can go down that list and you can go uh, they're glib you know they um, tend to sell you false truths whereas you know you've got narcissists I mean there's eight sort of subcategories within narcissism I pick out two the, the sort of the over and the covert so the over is what you imagine a narcissist to be uh, you know the like very ballsy in your face loves themselves but I think what's interesting about narcissists is that you think that they've got a massive ego and technically that's not quite right. Actually, what they do have is they have a fragile, high self-esteem, which means that they are constantly wanting people to validate themselves and they get often quite angry if they don't get that validation that they desperately need. You know, often you will find people in entertainment who are um, overt narcissists and when they don't get booked for jobs, when they don't, when a, a peer may get a job that they think that they should, it will be more than that they're just a bit pissed off. They will be genuinely very hurt and very angry. And I'm telling you, I've seen that multiple times. I'm sure you have. <laughs> like That kind of nasty side to the entertainment industry. <laughs> um so, and then, and then the, the, the one that's even harder to spot is the covert narcissist. And those are people who will display often, um, they, you know, they've got, they'll say things like, you know, they could be very ill. Um, they could maybe, they'll say, you know, I can't work because of X, Y, and Z. So people need to give to me, you know, feel sorry for me because I've got something wrong with me. 
Um, and they're harder to spot. They're much harder to spot because often they're quite meek and sort of unassuming. Um, and, and, and there's, a, there's multiple, you know, I, I've got the thing or psychometer in my book, which is a sort of very, uh, basic bitch way to look at like psychopathy from zero to 10. And I do it in a kind of conversational way. I am quite aware that there are multiple, um, you know, strains or whatever you want to call it off the whole chart. You know, you know, it, it's, it's very nuanced. I know that. But what I'm trying to do is make it so simple that you can go, oh, I spy some of those traits in the guy or the woman I am dating right now. That's a red flag. Let me look into that a little bit more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Are we not all capable of being that person, the bad person? Um, we do tend to, I, I'm just thinking from my own experience, I sort of, I talk to friends who are maybe dating men or women and I think, I can't believe how they're acting. And maybe they're telling, the, the partner is telling another story to their friends. And um, we all experience, I mean, and, and I'm not saying this to downplay the experiences you had because they seem, you know, they, those are really quite, but I mean, on a more uh, 
typical level. Uh, I definitely know from my own experience with girlfriends and things, there've been times where they've seemed horrible to me. And then I've realized like, oh, it's, you know, that's actually more the, the, the dynamic. And the nicer I start to be, the nicer that person starts to be. And we can all, and there's, a, there's an experience that you had with your first ever boyfriend in, in the book who uh, was singing a song to you publicly which i think is i mean it was mortifying for you it's mortifying to read because i can't imagine how embarrassed i'd be <laughs> if someone did that uh to me but then you sort of had to leave because it and I, and I understand why but could that person not be sort of walking around now going oh god i dated a, a psychopath i did the most beautiful song for her and she walked off and embarrassed me and then wrote about me in a book and slightly changed my name but it still starts with the same letter perhaps i don't know you know good very good very good um it was actually a rap andrew not a song first of all oh, if you yeah. want me to perform it no way yes. um, please um, what can you actually remember any of it from, from it because it was it was it was bits of it were in the book, weren't it? Yeah, her name is Madeleine. She is so fine. I want to make a man, my man, my man, mine. <laughs> I think. What if you heard that now, as an older person than you were? Do you think you'd be like, okay, I can take this? No, because <laughs> I, <laughs> I honestly. <laughs> you know we've all sort of hopefully developed over the years and i think now if that happened i would probably die inside but would be polite enough you know that i was in secondary school you know secondary school is rife with you know external the need for external validation and like all of that and i think right then i was like either i walk out or it's the end of my you know school <laughs> days of whatever um but I think, yeah, no, it's a really, really interesting point that you've made there because you're right. I think at one point in our lives or more than one point in our lives, we have all acted in a way that can be deemed narcissistic, can be deemed psychopathic, to be quite honest with you. Like, you know, if we're being um, like a specific, like, you know, let's talk about lying, for example, that's quite psychopathic in its, you know, especially lying for gain. I've done that. I'm sure you've done that. We've all done that in our lives. I'm sure we can think of a time when we've done that. So yes, it is true. But really what I'm talking about here is um, it's, it's an extended use and it's for a purpose. I don't think, um, you know, when I was in one of those, in those relationships, there was a, a desire, a very strong desire from my partners to... I keep saying destroy me. It really is that. It's really that simple. Um, and I think that, you know, you said that you felt that you were being nice to a partner and then they were just getting worse and worse. And it's true. You know, I talk about codependency in my book, which is the sort of this, uh, I, I mean, I've, I've noticed my own codependent traits. It's like it can manifest in, in multiple ways. It tends to be, um, you just cannot do enough for people. You put people's happiness above your own. You're desperate for them to um, praise you, for them to notice all of the good things that you're doing for them. You know, you iron their shirt, you do all these lovely things and then, you know, hope that they will just love you that bit more. You, you know, you, you just don't have that sense of self-worth, to be quite honest with you. I didn't. I, I kept doing, and I think one of the things I say in the book is one of the most terrifying uh, sentences to ever come out of my mouth was, I'll be happy when you're happy. And I genuinely meant it back then. Like I genuinely, you know, and, and the difficulty with that is when you're with someone who is a controlling personality type uh, or a psychopath or, or a narcissist or whatever, 
and they are, you know, they struggle with the concept of love and, 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 and really happiness. I, I'm talking from my own personal experience that a partner, you know, really just was not a happy person, just was miserable and, um, enjoyed seeing people suffer, to be quite honest with you. Um, and so here's me putting my own perception, my own experience of life in the hands of somebody who actually can't feel happiness, true happiness or true love, really. Um, so when I noticed that link between how I was, what, why I kept giving, you know, I'm, I'm come from a Irish Catholic background, right? The Irish Catholics are infamous infamous we are known for give 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 giving we cannot do enough right it's like a joke thing you see in every stereotypical depiction of the irish catholic you know they're like you want tea do you want tea what can i get you do you want tea you know all of this and so that's what i was brought up around and that's the person that i sort of still am but you know was fiercely back then and then more to the point though when i didn't get that validation when i didn't get that praise or that love I then would take, not necessarily take it out on them, but make them feel bad. I would do things like the silent treatment, right? I would say things like, you know, I'm just trying to do nice things for you. Now that's really, that's a very interesting dynamic because the controlling person has uh, taken advantage of me, but I technically have let them take advantage of me and then become pissed off when they don't uh, notice all of the lovely things I'm doing for them, which is kind of controlling in itself. I've been there. I, you know, I've done, I, I remember when I was 18, I, was, I think I might be quite similar to you. I've I related to a lot of things you've said, and I've spoken about it on this podcast before a few times. And I, it's that thing of thinking I'm a nice person. I, I, I think sometimes that can be one of the worst, the most controlling, horrible things you can do. When I, and when I was 18, I remember I, I, I was constantly getting my girlfriend gifts and then being upset that she didn't get them back. And, you know, I was so young, I was trying to sort of understand these things and understand what, and now when I see others do that, I think, oh, you, you know, you piece of shit getting your girlfriend a present. She doesn't, she's now going to have to do it back for you. There's, there's so many different types of control. Um, and, and I remember, you know, boyfriends of my, of my mum, you know, you always look out for that if you're like a stepson or whatever. And there's like a guy who's like, he's decided what she wants to eat and stuff like that. And he thinks he's doing a nice thing. But you're like, oh, this is a red flag. Oh, yeah. But then you have you have an even the weirder level to that, which is like, you know, I'm talking uh, from a female point of view and I'm talking to talk very candidly here. But then you have a, this weird thing. I mean, it may continue for some um, I'm just going to say women because I'm just speaking from a female perspective here, but where you have, um, you know, they, you will want to be that staunch feminist, like, how dare you? How dare you order for me? I can order for myself. I have my own mind, but it's also quite sexy when you take control. So I, it's, it's like, <laughs> I, I kind of like that you take control and that you tell me what to do a little bit, but it's like quite, but don't do it. Don't do it. It's also quite sexy. I kind of want you to do it. Like, it's like that weird. <laughs> well, that's human emotions. It's so, 
it's so complicated because also that dynamic we were talking about i feel like there's two different things going on one is that you, what i think what i was talking about is a bit different to what it's that i wasn't being that nice to a partner because i felt they weren't being nice to me and the more that i wasn't nice the more she felt i wasn't being nice then she wasn't nice to me and i think that happens to a lot of relationships that start to break down because you know and then you're not yourselves you do and say things and you go that's not me that's not them and you have to sort of break out of that cycle and sort of force yourselves to be nice and then you can get out of the cycle and then there's that other thing that i think you're describing as well which is the nicer you are like the guy doing the rap song for you but obviously that was just humiliating and ridiculous but the nicer you are that also pushes people away so all we want is people to be so nice to us but the more they are it's do you think that's like a like a we hate ourselves so much that anyone who really likes us can't be worth much yeah but it's i've found it now right it was very difficult for me. i never thought i would find the balance i really truly never thought i would find the balance i thought i would just have to make do you know when i was in a in a relationship i just thought you know oh i'm sure it'll be fine but i i see friends relationships right now and um i will see you know like a very close friend of mine who is just the loveliest person and their partner will pretty i mean take advantage of their niceness and um it's from my what's their name from my <laughs> from my point of view, <laughs> my point of view I'm kind of sitting there going, oh God, I want to tell them. But then at the same time, I feel like I don't want to, you know, I, I think maybe I've said to them before, sort of carefully, um, you don't need to do everything for everybody all of the time. You know, what? why do you think that you do that? And then of course they'll get very defensive and so on. And it, th there's very, I all I know is it took me a long time to understand that I, I say this in the book that you don't need to offer my my version of being nice was repair I felt like I needed to repair people in return for love I would find very broken souls often who had been oh I don't know like they'd come from horrendous relationships or they'd had an awful childhood or they'd been mistreated in some way and I, and I were just truly really not ready to date at all and I would sort of sniff them out and then make it all better. Oh, it's an addictive feeling, isn't it? That's why we like the sort of DIY shows fixing up someone's house. <laughs> it must be quite a natural human impulse. <laughs> we should do that, actually. Make the repair shop, but just for people. <laughs> you and me presenting. Ooh. Ooh. Shall we? we won't, they'll, give the, they'll give the jobs to some big egomaniac narcissist instead of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> unless we're the, unless we, we are the narcissist. I can do knows. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know... Do are you are friends of yours um, sort of now on edge a little bit about what they tell you because they might see you as like the expert person and I felt like okay I'm about to talk to Maddie and I've been reading the book and so just before coming on here I, because my girlfriend was coming home later I wanted to quickly make sure I'd like hung up all the clothes and stuff and it was all fine and then also like she was making some noise just before while we were talking and I was like oh I could go and say hang on a second and go oh you know darling I'd have to say it in such a soft way in case I looked like I might be one of the toxic people and I thought you know what I'm just going to leave it and i sort of quietly messaged her on whatsapp so you didn't know just saying water water's a bit loud uh, love you <laughs> you know because i don't want i don't want you to think i'm toxic no i mean to be honest with you the very the very notion that you are questioning whether you how you are toxic or whether you've got psychopathic tendencies or whatever it shows that you're not because you know i remember that i think this is an anecdote in the book i remember with a specific partner finally getting to a point where they had agreed to go to an anger management sort of counseling thing because it really got ridiculous and um 
you know, and, and, and me going out of my way to get them therapy, to get them counselling, you know, even though I was the one who desperately needed it because I just wanted to make sure that they were okay. And, um, I've been there. Yeah. And then they came back and they were like, yeah, no, they said that there's no problem. Actually, at one point, one of them, <laughs> this isn't in the book, but I remembered this the other day. One of them actually said the words to me. Yeah, the counselling went really well. I mean, I pretty much graduated. <laughs> And I was like, I actually went, oh my God, that's, congratulations, that's really good <laughs> when you graduate. Do you think that, but, but you know what, because it is also subjective and all that, are there people out there for those toxic people? And, and we will have to go into some of the stories, I guess, like, about, about them so you can sort of introduce them to the audience, mm. you know, what, who we're talking about here. But maybe there are people for them who could exist happily with them i don't know it depends at what level they are i mean uh, so in the book i've got I, I i cite three sort of major players in my in my love life of these sort of controlling personality types ending with damien and and he was really the sort of the the king of controls the the one who really destroyed me i mean i i had this sort of tendency to bounce from relationship to relationship i mean i think the longest break i had at that time being single was something like three days i mean it was it was you know really ridiculous that i i basically didn't sleep until i found another boyfriend you know and he had to be as controlling as possible and it, it tended to be and it was it was damien at the end and i you know i i, I absolutely should not have been dating at that time um because i was already very and I, look, I say, I was about to say I was already very weak and I think that that's difficult. I'm, I don't want to say that because that's, will lead us towards this sort of victim blaming mentality. You know, it's nothing to do, you're not weak if you're in one of these relationships. Um, but me not taking the time out, um, meant that I was more open to being a victim. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the, the stuff that Damien did to me, um, from financial coercion, sexual degradation, you know, all of this stuff that really got me to a point of, um, you know, just utter despair was put into, it was sort of thrown into, oh, it's not that bad because every relationship before that had been flavors of this kind of control. So I sort of, I mean, I talk, one of the first things I talk about in the book is normalizing. I did begin to normalize that, you know, maybe I have been called, um, I was one, I had a partner who used to always describe me as a total whirlwind and you would like shush me and be like, God, you're very, you're very talky, you're very loud. Can you just be quiet? You know, I'd, I'd just be having a sort of a conversation and I think, do you not like me? Like, why are we trying to be together? You know, no, no, of course it's fine. It's just you need to learn to be a bit quieter because I'm just trying to watch. You know, it wouldn't even be like, oh, I'm trying to watch a program, ha, ha, ha. It would be, shut up, you're annoying. And so I began to sort of feel really shit about myself and think, you know, maybe I am quite irritating. Maybe I am too loud and obnoxious. I didn't think I was, but maybe I am. So I began to get quieter and speak less and do sort of make less noise and move less and sort of just basically, I mean, you know, they say, oh, it's a, sh a shell of the person that you once were. And it, it really, truly is that. Like you, you know, I mean, like, let's get dark here, Andrew. <laughs> like I've mentioned sexual de degradation a couple of times now. And I think the point is, is that when you're in one of these relationships, all you want is to get to that point of calm 
So um, I'll talk in a minute about the cycle of abuse because I think that's really key to people who are in these relationships. But what happens is that sexually you will do things to please that person when you don't really want to do them and you feel uncomfortable, but they will push the boundaries. I mean, it's like, you know, the offense after a big storm, you know, they get weaker and weaker until your boundaries are just obliterated. And then there's no, you know, you, they can get away with whatever the hell they want. And you feel so much shame and that's toxic in itself, this toxic shame. You're sort of suffocated by it because of what they've done to you and what you've allowed them to do to you that it can just keep on going and that is the sort of the 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 the, the I mean, it's, a, it's a really destructive path to go down and um you know the uh, i'll just mention if it's okay the cycle of abuse the the sort of the knowing of um somebody said to me the other day, actually it was one of my friends who said like, oh, you know, I'm not quite sure. I could tell that the person they were dating was a complete whatever. But I, you know, I couldn't be sure. I can't, couldn't be sure. I didn't know. But all I said to them was that the difference between just a dickhead and someone who will destroy you is patterns. And I explained that, listen, these people will work and operate using cycles, using patterns. So that's what you've got to watch out for. And it's so clear when you're in it. So the way it works is that, you know, if you think of it as circles, at the top of the circle, you have this kind of, you know, love bombing, sort of romantic almost, like, you know, all of the nice oxytocin, all of the like dopamine, all this lovely time, the the nice time, you have nice times together. Um, you're laughing, like you feel totally at ease. No one understands you like they do. And then, and it, there's no finite time period on this, but uh, gradually their mood changes. Something about them changes and the tension phase arises. And, you know, you start getting that cortisol. You start getting that stress hormone. Something is going on. Their face changes. Your shoulders are up around your ears. There's a tension when you walk into the room. They gaslight you, which is where they, you know, make you sort of disbelieve your version of reality. They may be on their phone. They're texting someone. You know something's up. You know they're cheating, but they will make you feel paranoid, delusional, jealous, needy histrionic, hysterical, etc., And so you're then at the phase in the, in the cycle of abuse where you're dealing with all of this stress. And then at one point, bang, you get to the bottom of the circle and the bottom of the explosion is this sort of explosive bit. So it's this adrenaline, you know, they may physically, verbally, sexually assault you, whatever it might be. They will scream in your face, back you into a corner. They may even not even raise their voice, but whatever it is, you'll know because there's an explosion of tension. It's like, you know, I always describe it like a radiator that should have been bled, but you know, it's just completely just gone. And then you're coming back round. And before you know it, you're sort of reeling from what's happened to you and all of this adrenaline. And then you get round to the other side of the circle, which is the calm, the reconciliation phase. They won't say sorry, but they will make you somehow believe that it was your fault. And then you start coming back to the beginning of the circle again. And so the way I describe it in my book is it's a hormonal helter-skelter. You know, this is not, this is why you can't just leave because it is chemical, it's addiction. These are powerful hormones at play here that you are dealing with on repeat in patterns 
on a regular basis. And so that is the difference between just someone who's a bit of a prick and someone who will, if you stay, destroy you. That is incredibly scary. Do 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 you have? I mean, could you give us examples of maybe some of the scariest um, times you've had with some of the people you mentioned in, in the book? Yeah, I remember. Uh, funnily enough, we were talking just before we started recording about a, a second book, and I just written my first fiction, and um, I was actually using this experience in the fiction, and so it's a, kind of a very different way to do things. But I, I, one of the things that happened was that I was years in, years into this relationship. I'd lost a, a tremendous amount of weight. Um, I really cared. I don't want to say I cared a lot about what I looked like. I didn't care because I was vain. I cared because I just wanted them to love me. So I took, and that's a funny thing to say, you know, it sounds like, well, it sounds like you were really vain. No, I didn't. I just, I was just desperate for them to love me. It was really pitiful set of, you know, time in my life. But I took a lot of, but what was happening was none of my clothes fit anymore because I was just so thin. My hair was falling out. I had psoriasis from stress. You know, I, um, my skin was very thin. I was cold all the time because I'd lost so much weight. And so I remember moving into this place and, um, you know, really, truly being at a point of, you know, one of the things that these uh, controlling personality types will do is isolate you from friends and family. And I really had not talked to my family in, I mean, close to a year. And I'm very close with my family now. And I, and I, I was previous to that. Um, and so I felt more alone than I had ever done. And something had happened whereby he'd been away or I think it was on a, on a kind of a business trip and come back. And I had gone to great efforts to make, try and make myself look nice and to like cook dinner to do it. We're back to the kind of codependency thing. You know, I'd done everything. I mean, I hadn't stopped and he sort of didn't really notice was late, whatever. And, and I, I think something in me just finally just went, do you know what? Fuck this shit. And I got, I found this sort of ounce of courage from somewhere and that's dangerous these people are extremely dangerous you know it's it, i don't it wasn't stupidity it was courage but i basically just said i sort of found my voice back me me who i am now and i said look, look i've just fucking done this and i've done that and you and whatever and it i just remember looking at their face and it being sort of like if you imagine like a, a blind, like a like an automatic remote control blind sort of going down of, of a, just like when, you know, when you used to do that and it's just like the, the a darkness, this is the only way I can describe it. Their face changed in front of my eyes and it was quite terrifying really. And before I knew it, I was up against a wall and they'd said to me, the words were, and I say this in my book, uh, more triggering than I thought. Um, well, well, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's way more triggering than I thought. But anyways, I won't even, whatever. Um, something, something, if you, if you, way more triggering than I thought it was, obviously still quite a hor horrible memory in there, but something like, if you, if you don't respect me, then I'll break your fucking jaw. And it, it was a, a repeat thing, a repeat thing, a repeat thing. Anyway, God, I probably should go and have some more therapy about that anyway, but it was, it was terrifying. Um, I've got it. I've actually put it in the book, but it's funny with this shit, you know, it's so insidious and it's for so many years that I'm, I'm decades past this, but God, you know, sometimes something will just 
happen and you'll go fucking hell but then you also like now I am so safe now I am so secure and my partner could not be more compassionate and kind and stable and loving and my match really truly my match um that yeah and and I that I am I'm safe to feel what I've just felt you know um but anyway so there I was in the sort of backed into a corner and then I he basically threw me out of the house and I had nowhere to go, no money, nothing. And so I left, I went with a sort of suitcase packed with sort of random items because I packed so quickly because, you know, I just, I needed to get out. I mean, it was extremely dangerous. It was a very dangerous situation. We were very, very top uh, block of flats. It was not easy to get down. Um, and anyway, I ended up sleeping on a floor. I don't think I did sleep anyway. Came back the next morning and he had come out of the bathroom and said to me god thank god you're okay never leave again it's so good that you're back anyway if you want breakfast it's just in there <laughs> and i went oh i'm going to lose my mind if i stay i'm going to lose my mind and i've recounted that it's probably why it's quite sort of raw right now because i've just done that experience for the fiction and i can't tell you it's not even like oh god you know they pushed me down the stairs and blah blah it's the mental, that's what I'm talking about in the book. It's this insidious, emotional, mental stuff that happens that just gets you. And that, so that it was one of the moments that I went, oh my God, I've got us, this has got to stop. Yeah, I, I think people listening, I mean, most people will understand and will have gone through similar sort of feelings. And then some people will probably be wondering, well, why don't you just leave someone? Why is it so hard to leave someone like that? But I mean, I've never, I've never broken up with anyone. I've, I've, I think I've landed on my feet really to end up with the person I'm with now who makes me very happy. But uh, had the people before ended up breaking up with me, but I, I wouldn't have, <laughs> I didn't think I'd have ever left them because it's so, no, same. no matter how bad it was, it's same. so hard. Exactly the same with me. Exactly the same. I mean, thank God, thank God they left. I mean, really, that's a crazy thing to say because, you know, in the book, I talk about this sort of cycle that happens in these relationships, which is uh, distinguish, devalue, discard. So at the beginning, they will distinguish you. They'll make you feel like you are the best. You are so, you have never felt so good about yourself, ironically. And then gradually over time is the devalue stage. They will start doing things like negging you, which is sort of a criticism marked, masters as compliments. So they'll say things like, you know, um, oh, are you not wearing makeup today? No, you're beautiful without. It's just I thought that you, you do look better with a, like a little bit of slap on. Ha ha ha. Just a joke. Just a joke. Just a joke. And so gradually over time, you'll feel like, oh, well, I won't do that again. I'll just wear this and I'll try a little bit harder and I'll whatever. And you lose yourself. You start losing these sort of sparks of yourself, of your personality. And then at one point, discard. They will discard you, but don't rely on that. If anyone's listening and they're stuck in this relationship and they're going, oh, thank God, you know, in a sort of sordid way that they will leave me. Not necessarily. It may take decades um, but like you, yeah, Andrew, I mean, thank God they did. But yeah, I mean, that, that thing that you've just said there, why didn't you just leave them? Hopefully I explain that with the sort of cycle of abuse. And there is a whole chapter in my book called Why Don't You Just Leave Them? And I would just encourage people just to read that one chapter. If you've ever had that thought, oh, for God's sake, just leave. Bl read that bloody chapter. <laughs> 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What advice would you give? Because there's no doubt, I mean, just statistically speaking, there will be several or maybe many people listening now who are in exactly the same position you were in. What would you say to them? Um, Be patient with yourself. Um, Be patient with your set of circumstances. One of the thank yous that I did in my book was a thank you to myself for knowing that I was more than my circumstances because it meant there was points where I just wanted to give up. I just, I just didn't have anything left. And there was a voice that said, you are more than this. This is not forever. And so I would say that, that look, don't rush and do anything hasty and say, you know, you'd probably expect me to be like, get out, get out. Not necessarily. They, these are dangerous people. You know, the rates of femicide, the rates of murder post-separation are, you know, appalling. Um, you know, there's honestly, I could pick up the newspaper now and I would find you a story of there was one couple of weeks ago of a woman who'd finally got out of one of these controlling relationships and he had encouraged her. He sort of said, I've, I've done some thinking um, in my book. It's called hoovering. They'll sort of hoover you back in. You know, I've changed. I've had a think. You're right. I, I shouldn't have done that. You know, downplay. I remember getting a message once uh, saying, um, I know I said some mean things. You know, I'm sort of like quivering in the corner being like, <laughs> and and this woman this poor woman she did go and meet him she did give him that chance and he and he murdered her and that is not an unusual thing you know so i don't want to sort of i'm not trying to do this as sort of like being like juicy like oh you know here's a story what i'm trying to say is these people are so dangerous so don't do anything hasty Pack yourself a safety bag, even if you're trying to tell yourself that you don't think it's as bad. Set yourself up a safety plan. Get your, you know, your passport, some identity documents, whatever. Um, you know, pack yourself some toiletries, a couple of changes of clothes and start, if you can, if you're able to, it depends how severe the circumstances are, reach out to people. One of the first people I say this in my book that I reached out to was my dad. And my dad is my hero. He's my everything. And he was the person that, he was so patient with me, you know, it must, I can't even think how awful it must be for a parent to witness their child going through, you know, let alone a friend, but you know, a parent to watch their child going through something like this, you know, just heart wrenching because in the book, and I stand by this, it's a cult. It's a cult for one, you know, that is what these relationships are, a cult leader and, you know, their victim. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you'll begin to start being able to disentangle yourself from them. It's it's something that I was actually thinking, because obviously I interview a lot of cult leavers, people who have left cults and stuff. And obviously you talk about the love bombing and the cycle of abuse and how things change once you're in. And it really does feel like uh, a lot of pe- the experiences that people have, have had in cults and it's dangerous leaving cults as well um particularly ones like scientology there's a whole thing going on at the moment danny masterson from the, that 70s show um he you know is is on trial for several rapes 
um, and the Scientologists have gone about to the victims and killed their pets, which is horrific. Um, and it's, it's a difficult one because obviously I, I you're in a difficult position because I think you want to help people to sort of realise this, you know, what they're in. But you, I imagine, don't want to be responsible because it's so dangerous that, you know, they leave and something happens to them. Yeah, exactly. And well, it's exactly that. And, you know, I've had a lot of messages, a lot of DMs. I've had some, a couple of sort of quite weird ones, a couple of quite angry ones, actually, of people saying, you know, you destroyed my relationship. So um, I've also had ones of saying, you know, I've just read your book and it's given me the courage and I'm leaving oh. tonight. And I'm like, whoa, oh. whoa, 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 whoa. And so it becomes a sort of a, a point in my, I'm at this point now where, you know, my instinctively, I, I, I instinctually, I want to help that person. And I want to say, right, I mean, I mean, literally, honestly, there is a part of me that wants to go, here's my address, come over right now, I'm going to help you. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, the, I, that's the sort of codependency, that sort of people-pleasing thing that I have. I have to check myself and say, no, stop. But I am an ambassador for Women's Aid and, you know, Women's Aid are a fantastic charity and they've also got, you know, trained people on the phone, on live chat, even if all you can do is text, there's a live chat line, um, that you can just text, you know, secretly, it will be um, a message and they will just say, you know, here's what you can do, here's refuges. It's, it's never going to be easy, never going to be easy, but it is never too late to leave, ever. You know, it doesn't matter how long it's been. So for you, this is quite, because I get a lot of messages as well, uh, obviously because of the, the topics that we cover and it's people, again, in these difficult situations. It's really quite stressful because you don't have the time as well to be just helping everyone. You can't. Um, but how also, you know, you've just got a message. Someone's like, I'm going to leave my, now. You can't go to, how can you just go to sleep then? Yeah, I know. Well, I know. I had him, I don't know if you know Sam Delaney. Uh, he's a really good friend of mine. He's um, he's brilliant. Anyway, so he's a, he's a podcaster. He's a, he's brilliant. Anyway, he's he and I were having. He he does a, a thing called the reset. He's a, a an addict, and he 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 says he we were having this conversation because I said I was I was about to do an event, and I got a couple of messages from people saying I'm going to turn up and see you, and they weren't scary messages, but they were. You know, I feel things like, I feel like you're my best friend. I feel like you're my sister. I need to, I need to tell you what you've done for me. I need you to know I'm going to come and see you. I'm going to, I'm not going to come to the event, but I'm going to wait afterwards. You know, stuff like that, whereby it's probably fine and you probably will go, oh, thanks. That's lovely. It's so nice to meet you. And of course, you know, it's just nice people doing nice things, saying nice things. Having been in one of these relationships, you never quite trust people the same anymore. And that's quite sad. I don't think I will ever. I, I, I perhaps that's okay because I was way too trustworthy anyway. But I don't. I've got a bit of a wall up now, so I am quite cautious. And Sam said to me, "You've done the book, and Andrew, you've done the podcast, and that's enough. You've done your thing. You've you've helped. You don't need to do more. You know." As how did he describe it? Oh, he said to me. People will think, people will be looking, people who are in dire situations will be looking for the magic bullet and they will think that you've got it because you talk about it. That safety, that thing, that one thing to help them. And you don't necessarily have it, but it's a case to think of going, what are my boundaries and what, what am I willing to do? And what am I willing not to do? And so now I tend to reply sometimes 
but often just say point them towards women's aid or point them to the national domestic abuse helpline or something like that um or just say thanks you know great thank you i'm so glad no, I think you're right. It's all you can do, isn't it? It still, it still sort of feels bad because you sort of feel like you've left something undone and you want to sort of, you want to go and be with that till the end. I get people just asking for my address to send chocolate or whatever and I can't give it out. You know, it's not fair on my partner and, and you know, what if they send, you know, I don't, I know they wouldn't, but if, if there was sort of anthrax laced on it or something, you know, you can't. I mean, truly, honestly, uh, it is the case of that. Andrew. You've done enough. This podcast is more than enough. You are helping people, you know, on a daily, hourly, secondly basis, you know, and, and that's a sort of a reminder just to go, actually, you know, I said that was one of the first things I said to the publishers and I don't, it sounds so like wanky to say this. I just want to help one person because they're going, <laughs> yeah, no, we want to sell books. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I just want to help that one person. And, you know, I think that is the thing is that you've got to go, what is my end goal? Like my end goal with the book is that I just wanted to help. I just wanted to help me selfishly back then. I wish I had picked up this book. No, I know that feeling. And and that's the thing I think you were saying before, you don't want to uh, classify uh, people who fall for these kinds of uh, narcissists and psychopaths or, or toxic people as, as weak uh, because it's sort of victim blaming. But I think having sort of seen myself as that, that's kind of person at some point and and you having been that person i sort of feel like okay maybe not weak but i did have to learn a lot and you it sounds like you had to learn a lot and about about just being uh a bit stronger <laughs> and uh, i'm fumbling over my words again because i don't want to be victim no, no, no. but but you know to go to, to to learn to uh and i spoke about this before in the podcast i went to a therapist who said you just want applause you know because i thought i was like this ultra a super empath selfish selfless person and and he was like okay well you are those things but you know we all do things for reasons and you want applause you want people telling you how great you are and to, to say oh what a lovely guy he was um so i guess it was learning to to not put that on other people but and also you've got to be sort of happy learn to be happy i mean you say in the book don't you um that you have to sort of be single for a while and and learn to be happy as you and not sort of define yourself by the person you're with yeah which is how i got to be where i am now truly i mean it took nearly three or four years actually of me just kind of pulling myself back all the time sort of going oh my god i didn't realize how desperately i needed someone to sort of validate me you know, I came off social media. I've got a thing about social media. Like I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on all this stuff. But I will, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can um, affiliate with this, that they like delete the apps and then they, it's like dating apps, like you delete them and then you're back on them. And, then, you know, it's the same thing. It's a love-hate. But for me, it was kind of an awareness of, oh, you know, I do lean too much. I've got to work on my own self-worth. And because if I don't, truly that is the only way that this cycle is going to end and I, I just couldn't physically mentally emotionally I couldn't do it anymore I just knew I couldn't that was it had to be it I, I mean I know it sounds dramatic but I I was you know I say this in the book I was at my end you know there was that guy that sent you a bill was that, <laughs> I'm just thinking now because I, I read that the other night and I'm just thinking now was that in the news at the time? Because I think I remember reading that. Um, oh, no, I don't think. Uh, 
I don't think so. I mean, no, what I mentioned in the book is that I did finally at one of, one of, way back it wasn't the sort of Damien character, it was the middle, middle guy. And we'd been together a while. And actually, he, again, you said it at the very beginning, there's different kinds of control. It's true. You know, he wasn't like the others, but God, he was so controlling in so many ways. It was, you know, I'm going to take you out because you deserve to be, um, treated well. Oh, what you can't afford it. Okay. Well, then you say and talk to me. You know, is this kind of weird stuff? Anyway, I, f- yeah, you no, know, it was no, it, you know, it was all done in kind of, um, you know, I'll take you to this very fancy restaurant. I don't necessarily want to go. I know I can't afford it. Um, but you know, you stay. And anyway, yeah. So the story was that at the very end of it, he sent me an Excel spreadsheet of all of my costs. Um, so that was quite a funny sort of way for me to, now I look back on it and I think it's hilarious. At the time I was like, oh my God, how the hell do I pay this? How do I get myself in this? This is a kind of sort of finan- weird financial control thing of like, oh, you don't, okay, fine. If you don't want to be with me, then you will back pay me for all of the times that you sat in my car. You will pay petrol. You will back pay me for that time when we went for coffee. You know what was annoying was that you paid it because... I'm reading it going, oh, don't pay the bastard. I know, I know. And there's been so many things like that in those relationships. You, these people at the end will try anything to just have that ounce more control over you. You know, I've seen this so many times with people trying to get out of these relationships. There will be something. It will not end because you say this isn't working or they, or even they leave you. It's not the end they will come back and find a way to hold control over you. And often it's with money. Um, so it becomes case by case. You can't say never pay. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's so difficult. I mean, in the, at the end of the book, I give that, and I, I won't go into it because there's a lot of them steps that I advise for you safely to come out of one of these relationships. Um, but one of them being sort of surrounding yourself with people who will ensure that you, that hold you accountable for contact because, you know, you can't just sort of go back to them and say, oh, actually, fine, let's just have a chat. It's got to be, you've got to cut it off. And and what what kinds of, because he was the same guy who was, um, I think it was the same guy who was uh, angry if you came back, like you'd had a drink with some friends or if you came back late or whatever. And, and was it him also that like wanted to check your messages and stuff? Yeah, check my diary, things like that. You know, I thought that you said you were going to be at a casting, but then you weren't. You know, it was all it was all sort of done in, but it was not in a, I was about to say it's not in a controlling way. It was not done in an overt way where you would go, whoa, because that sounds like if someone went, I need to go through your phone, you'd go, no, if I can know, it's my phone. It wasn't done in that way. It was done in a way that was sort of, um, oh, you know, let's go to this restaurant next week. Get, get your calendar out. Get your calendar out. Let's go. Like, check, check if you're free. Check if you're free. Oh, what was that? Is it casting? You were at a cast? I thought you, oh, I thought you didn't say you were at a casting. You, it was like that kind of, oh, yeah, I was. Oh, you didn't say that to me. Oh, sorry. I, you know, it was that kind of all the time you're questioning, second guessing. Oh, shit. Did I not? I, I wasn't doing anything. Oh, well, maybe you were seeing someone behind my back. I wasn't. I really wasn't. You know, this kind of, it's just you crazy, like your brain, you never switch it off at night. You're sitting there going, did I say that? Did I do this? Did I, did I make it seem, you know, it's exhausting. Oh, I can't imagine that. I, I had, yeah, a friend of mine who's a guy and his girlfriend was like that. And, and I think she was just, she had something not right. I don't know. So we couldn't enjoy a night out with him. We were living in at the time. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Right. Can I take that bit out, please? <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know what? I don't even have to tell that story. I don't know that much. 
it's just I just it's just it was the guy who's his girlfriend was always doing that as well um, and assuming he was cheating and he wasn't he was he was doing nothing it was just with us but yeah well um, let us so where can people where do you want to send people do you want to send them to Twitter uh, and and to get your book is it all the normal places to buy it yeah yeah it's all in the normal places so the paperback is out next year but the hardback is out right now I think. I think there's some, yeah, anyway, it's out as Waterstones, Amazon, wherever, Blackwells, um, uh, bookshop.org, I think. But yeah, it's, it's everywhere. There's links on my Instagram is at Maddie Anholt. My Twitter, oh, it's just at Maddie underscore Anholt. I don't know, whatever, you know. Uh, You're fine. Somewhere, <laughs> wherever, yeah. But at the moment, all on there. And then, yeah, have a look out because book two, my first fiction, hopefully will be out soon. Ooh, very exciting. Well, Maddie Anholt, thank you so much for being on the edge. I wish you um, the best of everything. Thank I need you. to work on the thing I say at the end of the podcast. <laughs> um, it's been great. Thank you for having me on the edge. I've been on the edge and I've enjoyed being on the edge. No, yeah, I need to work on that too. Give them something to say and then you say it. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> oh, I think it was great. That went great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Maddie Anholt. What an amazing guest. I really mean that. I really had a lot of fun talking to her, even though it was, of course, about a very, very serious topic. Uh, And guys, please do support our guest. Uh, Get hold of her book. It's really fascinating and a great read. It's How to Leave Your Psychopath, The Essential Handbook for Escaping Toxic Relationships. If it only helps one person, as Maddie says, then this was all worth it, you know? And I hope even if it doesn't help your particular circumstance i hope that it was an enjoyable listen coming up are episodes with a former burglar and another about shamima begum who left the uk to fight for isis thanks to all the new patrons and the new apple reviews from americans there have been a few new ones i'll read them out next time it's funny i now have more american listeners than british ones but around three to one of the reviews on apple are british so americans you've got your work cut out there's about 200 more british ones thank you though anyway i'm just kidding of course you don't have to review i just love that you listen and i'll see you all soon